So um, I was getting ready today to go out to eat with Nick. And uh, as I was getting ready, I was putting all this makeup on. And I just kept on putting it on and putting it on and putting it on because I have this huge zit on the left side of my forehead. And no matter how much makeup I could put on, like, it just, it wasn't going away. And Lexi's actually looking at me right now, but... <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where it's She at. can't see it because what I ended up doing was parting my hair on the opposite side of my head. That's the weirdest sensation. Yeah, I can't do it's it. So, it feels so wrong on my so head. It's so weird. And so, like, I parted my hair on the right side, or my right side of my head, so everybody else is left. And, like, the second that I did that, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, is this what the mirror universe me looks like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I, I don't. But it covered the zit really well. So yeah, I can't complain. Mission accomplished. And, uh, thank you. <laughs> um, and so, like, I'm doing my hair and I'm, like, freaked out about how I look the whole time that I'm doing it. And... As I was having this thought about, like, man, is this what, like, the mirror universe me looks like? You know, and I'm thinking about, like, Star Trek, like, the uh, mirror universe episodes where there's, like, the evil Spock that has the goatee and everything like that. <laughs> why, do they like, all, why do the evil versions always have a goatee? <laughs> I don't know, but I almost drew a goatee on my face with my makeup because <laughs> I was like, this is, like... To complete the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I had a thought, what if I'm the evil mirror universe version of Audrey? <laughs> you are, you are to the evil, yeah, to the evil mirror universe version of you. You're the evil, evil. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of hard yeah. to think about. But yeah, but you're then, the evil twin in some situation. In some situation. And I mean, I am, if, if you look at the facts, sometimes I say bad words at work because I get frustrated. Oh, Case closed. I think, and, we know. Yeah. I think we know who it really is. Yeah, I think it's me. I, th I, think, I think I'm... I think the important question, though, is where did you and Nick go to lunch? Uh, so this actually is um, a very key piece of evidence uh, to support the fact that I am currently living as the evil mirror universe version of Audrey. We went to Texas Roadhouse. Which, Whoa. on its own, is not inherently evil or anything like that. It's just, like, I haven't been there for about, I'd say, five or six years. And it's been long enough that I can't remember why I don't go. And yeah. so when we went, like, we went, we sat down, and I was like, oh, this is why I don't go. And it's like, it's the country music. Uh. It's the dead animal heads on the walls. It's so loud it's, there. <laughs> it's all of the, like, you know, super hardcore Texas stuff. Like, Texas, like, there isn't a competition to see who can have, like, the biggest things or the grossest food. I don't know who you're competing against, but it's like you're in some sort of competition for, like, who can have the biggest and most grossest food. Yeah. And so I was like... Well. Oh, it's because this totally isn't my aesthetic. That's why we don't come here. It's because, like, right. everything that Audrey isn't is here in the Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but in this mirror universe, I believe we still record Kitten Whiskers and Kanye, yes? Yeah. Okay. 
Good deal. Let's get to it. So today, I'm really excited about this episode because we have a guest with us, my dear friend, Lexi Ramirez. Say hi, Lexi. Hey, hi. <laughs> I'm so excited. And I'm, I'm excited because I get to have a conversation with my two best friends, yeah. like at the Yay. same time. Woohoo. So this is- Worlds it- colliding. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm like living in heaven right now. Um, <laughs> and we also get to talk about one of my favorite bands ever. It's the Beatles. Yeah. The Beatles. Yes. yes um, I, I'm assuming that I did name this episode correctly and I didn't like pull a fast one on our listeners. Hopefully, hopefully future Audrey doesn't like try to call this the Ramones episode. Right? <laughs> Maybe in that alternate universe we were talking about, they talked about the Ramones. Maybe. No. But in this universe, we're talking about the Beatles. Yeah. So, Lexi, tell us briefly about the history of your enthusiasm for the band and, like, where you started listening and when and just spill. Spill the beans. All right. Spill. So, pretty much from my very beginning of my childhood, from my first memories, I've loved the Beatles. It all stems back to my dad and just special memories with him road tripping to California, especially after my parents were divorced and he was a single dad for a couple years. And I have to say it was so much fun because we just listened to the Beatles and some other really great music, Tom Petty, and we'd road trip to California and it was just fun being a little kid, no worries. And so that's what, um, ignited my love of the Beatles and since then as I've grown I've just grown to appreciate their music and the band so much so all right yeah uh for myself uh I know that my mom tried to introduce me to the Beatles at a much younger age than I think I could appreciate them sure um (laughs) which in all fairness like a lot of their early music is very upbeat it's very poppy and Mm -hmm. it makes sense to like have little kids listen to it because like it's just it it's something that little kids would want to dance to and for whatever reason i was just like nah (laughs) yeah well especially stuff like yellow submarine which sounds i don't really know the deeper meanings of that song if there are any but it just sounds like a kid's Mm -hmm. song like it sounds like a nonsensical kid's song that you know kids would sing along to and dance to (laughs) right yeah and same thing with like octopus's garden like oh yeah that is a huge like it's just so silly. It is. <laughs> There's actually a, a famous children's song guitar player. You know, like kind of like Johnny Karate, except for in real life. Oh, yeah, yeah, Johnny Karate. <laughs> <laughs> Raffi is his name. And I know this because my stepmom taught preschool and kindergarten for many years. And Octopus's Garden is one of his covers. And oh, I, yeah? as a little kid, yeah. 
I didn't know that it was a Beatles song. I thought it was a Rocky <laughs> song. And then when yeah. I came to learn that it was actually a Beatles song, I was like, that's even cooler. Yeah. So. Yeah. One of my earliest memories of the Beatles is this little kids karaoke game that I always plug into my TV. And a lot of them were like half of them were normal songs, but the other half were like kids songs. And Yellow Submarine was on there. And I can never really distinguish if that was one of the serious songs or one of the kids songs, you know, because it kind of straddled the 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 distinction there yeah yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah it really does as per our format we are going to start talking about the beatles from the beginning Woo-hoo. so let's get started in 1957 awesome all right so i started out with this quote which i thought was pretty nifty the beatles have been called the foremost and most influential music band in history and throughout this, I want to try to sell you on that. So at the end, you can agree. <laughs> so Cool. All right, 1957. So that is the year that the Beatles were first formed as a band um, in Liverpool, England. So uh, they began, they performed in Liverpool, and also they toured in Hamburg. And as common with many bands, they had lots of band member changes. So the first original was John Lennon. He was the one who created the band. And there were lots Mm. of people who came in and out. And most of those people I never heard of and I don't believe ever became famous afterwards. So we won't talk about all of them. But we'll talk about the Beatles that did end up sticking around. (laughs) I do have to say, like, I've been thinking about, like, the original lineup of the Beatles, which, like, I have finger quotes going here. Um, (laughs) which of course everybody can see and knows that I'm doing that. But for whatever reason, whenever I think about the original lineup of the Beatles, there is a Homestar Runner joke that I always think of. And it's so weird because it's one of those that you can only see on the website because it's an Easter egg where if you click on the word children's book in one of the strong bad emails, like closing Mm -hmm. screens, it'll take you to like the quote, original Homestar Runner children's book, except, like, Strong Bad wrote in it, and he, like, (laughs) scribbled over some of the phrases and wrote in his own things. And at one point, the story goes into um, a fairy coming along and turning everybody into grapes. And he scribbles, he scribbles, I mean, it's already bizarre enough to begin with, but Strong Bad scribbles over everything, and he's like... And then the good fairy came along and turned the original lineup of the Beatles into 20 grapes. And he writes in the margin, watch out, Pete Best. And I, like, at the time, I think I had just barely learned who Pete Best was. (laughs) And so, like, I thought it was so hilarious because I was like, that is such such a pop culture deep cut. And now I'm like, oh, it's... I'm not yeah. really. <laughs> I do love it when I like watch a TV show again and I pick up on a pop culture yeah, reference yeah. that I didn't before, and I'm like, oh, that's so good. good. <laughs> it's validating. That's awesome. So, um, as I said, John Lennon, he was the original person who started up the band, and then just shortly after, Paul McCartney joined him, and then. Um, Shortly after that, George Harrison was trying to get into the band, and he was friends with Paul McCartney, and he'd seen them play with their other band members, and he wanted to be jo- to join in, but he was considered too young, which I think is funny, because John Lennon was 16, Paul McCartney was 15. A year later, when George Harrison came around and said, hey, I want to be in the band, he was 15, 
And now the 17 and 16 year old are saying you're too young. So oh, we've grown so much in that year. I think year. that is very funny, but yeah, I guess it's true. When you're a teenager, it's like a year uh, makes all the difference. So yeah. after a lot of persistence, they let George join, which I'm so glad because I love George. I do too. Yeah. He's my favorite. And then after lots of other years of band members, finally they ended up with Ringo as their drummer in 1962. So that was quite a gap. But the first three were pretty close and then Ringo at the end. Um, also with common with lots of bands as multiple changes in band names, which I think is funny. If you guys see Parks and Rec, they're always thinking like, oh, that'd be a good band. <laughs> yeah. Good band name. <laughs> and I love that. So the, the Blackjacks was the first one when John Lennon very first started the band, but he soon found out there was another band with the same name. So luckily he was like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have the same name. If there's another Yeah, band. thank goodness. Yeah. So he quickly changed that to the Quarrymen, which I thought was kind of unique and fun. <laughs> wow. I'm glad that you are so upbeat about it because I'm looking at the quarry band and i'm like wow that is a really bad band name <laughs> yeah i'm so glad that whatever led them to the beatles happened because it just is perfect <laughs> well it really is so then i learned about this um then it was suggested by one of the band members at the time to change it to the beatles it's spelled b-e-a-t-a-l-s but beatles like beat on a drum is a tribute to buddy holly and the crickets which i didn't realize that oh. so crickets mm. beatles beatles like a beat on the drum i knew obviously yeah. the way the beatles spelled is like a beat you know yeah but yeah but yeah so that was that then it turned to the silver beatles which i'm really glad they didn't stick with that because i don't like silver beetles that's yeah creepy. that's another like really bad <laughs> like, band name what i don't like bugs so that's like a yeah. legends of the hidden temple Ooh. like <laughs> <laughs> no the simplicity of beetles is is yes. perfect so then it was silver beetles just like spelled like the bug then silver beetles spelled like the beetles we know now and then eventually the beetles we know now b-e-a-t-l-e-s and I love it. And it's funny because when you get so used to a name, you don't think that it's similar. Right. You know, you don't think, yeah. oh, beetle like a bug. Or like, okay, for example, my husband's name is Elvis, which people mm. are, are blown away every time. They think I, they don't hear yeah. me right. They're like, what? <laughs> but for me, I don't even like, doesn't even dawn on me on a daily basis. Like, oh, my right. husband's name is Elvis, you know? So it's just funny how that goes with names. You're like, oh, that is the name of a bug. But eh, it's the Beatles. Yeah. And it so. wasn't until it was pointed out to me that it was spelled differently that it even registered in my head. Like, it's the same thing. Yeah. That, you know. <laughs> They're hominins. It, yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, so in 1962, after all the different changes in the band members and the names, and they were finally kind of settling down, they recorded their first two official singles and when they say singles it's usually like two or three songs that are released as a single which is mm. funny with the name single you think that's one song but it's not <laughs> anyway so just a couple two or three songs and among those were love me do which probably a lot of people know mm -hmm. please please me and p.s i love you which that song makes me think of audrey so i kind of love Aww. that that was one of their beginning <laughs> songs and that makes you think of audrey nine high school so I uh, love it. So that's awesome. So those were their first singles, and that was when they first recorded and started getting pretty popular. And then going into 1963, they recorded their first LP, which is like a full-length album, on February 11th, 1963, and it was titled Please Please Me, just like the song that they'd released on their single before. It included those other songs we listed, and then um, obviously a bunch of others. And the thing I think is so interesting about this is that it was recorded in one day, which I just don't, I can't imagine that. Like, how no, could you do yeah. that? <laughs> I mean, one day. Carmen and I, going back to our very first episode, we talked about how, what was it? 
808 and the heartbreak was five was, weeks. It was five five weeks, and like that just blew me away yeah. because I was like, "That's nothing." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, one day Seriously. is like ridiculous. Yeah. Crazy. Um, please please me. Actually, I think it's my second favorite Beatles album. That's awesome. <laughs> and I know it's kind of weird because like. It, it doesn't have their characteristic sound. Right. They're just brand new. Yeah, there's just a lot of songs on it that I really like. Um, and yeah, P.S. I Love You is one of my favorites. Yes. <laughs> and so it doesn't hurt that that is on the full-length album. You also... Um, another song that makes me think of you is Do You Want to Know a Secret? That yes. is totally an Audrey song. And so I love to hear that this is your like second favorite album. That's awesome. And I really love the, this album because it's just happy music to me. Like, mm-hmm. it's just fun. But I think it's interesting because John Lennon was um, quoted as saying that. He said, little thought went into the composition at the time. And they were really just writing pop songs to create a sound. And that the words were almost irrelevant, which I think is interesting because some of those songs to me just like bring back the joys of childhood and yeah. being happy. And so maybe that's how it was for him. But I'm glad he wrote it because for me, it's like, no, oh, this is good. Yeah. Good stuff. So. And that also would explain why I like it so much, because I've I haven't been recorded saying this, but I've always been more of a music person than a lyric person. Yeah. And I know I've expressed this to both of you, mm-hmm. uh, how it takes me at least three or four listens to, like, really mm-hmm. get into the lyrics. And so the, that would probably explain why I like this album so much, yeah. is that, like, oh, yeah. the lyrics are uh, not as relevant yeah. as they are in later <laughs> albums. Yeah, that does make sense. That's cool. So this album reached number one in the charts, and it began a streak during which, let's see, 11 of their 12 studio albums released in the UK reached number one. So this was just the beginning of, like, pretty much instant stardom, famous, crazy mayhem. Everyone loves the Beatles. In August of 1963, they released their fourth single, um, She Loves You, and that one was kind of like a big, for them it was like a big... Uh, turning point, I guess is the word, right? Expression. They achieved mm-hmm. the fastest sales of any record in UK history up to that time. They sold three quarters of a million copies in four weeks and was their first single to sell one million copies. So it was like by that time, you know, February they recorded their LP and by August when their fourth single came out, it was like, boom. There yeah. are and the you know, Beatles. C- considering the lack of like internet connection and being able to communicate like, hey, these guys are great. Right. Check these out. You know, that's really impressive. Right. Like that was just word of mouth, like literal word of mouth exactly. or, you know, maybe written letters. I don't know. Yeah. That spread this mania. And that's really impressive. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Like in our day and age, you just like find everything online pretty much. And, you know. Yeah. And it's so much harder to find the good stuff because so many people are able to spread the bad stuff, too. Exactly. But when back then, when you didn't have the ability to just share whatever you wanted, the good stuff always obviously rose to the top. And that's. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I just think that's cool. Like, that speaks for itself, how amazing, like, oh, yeah. in, like, six months' time, it's, like, boom, you know. Yeah. Now, the, I have a question that you might not know the answer to. Um, boy bands, were they were they a thing before the Beatles, or, or did the Beatles kind of jumpstart that, or just kind of popularize it? Yeah, I don't know specifically with boy bands. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the British invasion, but I feel like cool. they were definitely, like, the beginning of the this is the thing, sure. is to be a, a band and, you know, here in pop, cool. rock and roll. 
So I don't know specifically with boy bands, but they definitely were like the example of this is the yeah. thing to do. You and know? I am I am tempted to say that yes, it is because like up till then, I don't know. Like as far as bands go, you're talking about like the Temptations, which oh, is obviously true. like mm-hmm. that's a girl band. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Haley and his Comets. There were a lot of those, like, and like, the bands yeah, in the 50s, yeah. right? You know? Yeah, but we don't get to, like, like rock and roll bands until right. it looks like about, oh, six, like, pretty much 60s. Yeah. 63, 64. Yeah, and from what you're saying is logical with the British Invasion because a bunch of those bands were able to find success because of the Beatles example, right. you know? So that makes sense to me. And yeah. yeah, before it feels like it was more of like a, like I said with the and the bands, it was more mm-hmm. like this is this, you know, this is the guy and here's his accompanists or whatever, yeah. you know? <laughs> like it's not really about the band as a whole. It's more of like the people who support mm-hmm. him, you know? Right, so. right. So this is something interesting I learned about um, when I was researching. It said commercial success brought media exposure and the band responded in a way that was kind of like they used the term irreverent and comical. So they kind of were just like, yeah, yeah, we're cool and we know it, you know, not like this. Like, wow, I'm so honored to be making such an impact in the world. It was more of like, yeah, we know we're amazing. And I feel like that was so interesting because it kind of in turn inspired even more people to be like okay wait a second who are these people and why what you know their confidence and their ability to just be like yeah we are we're rock and roll we're awesome you know yeah yeah and it actually it makes me think of boy bands today because i i'll see pictures of fans with like uh one direction and like the jonas brothers Mm -hmm. and modern boy bands and the guys in those bands try to do the same thing where they're like, let's take a silly picture and like, we're not posing. We're just like chill and cool. <laughs> and it mm-hmm. feels more like an act than it does. Yeah. Like genuine, like this is how we are. And so I can't help but wonder if like they tried to emulate what the Beatles started. Yeah. I agree. And because obviously with the Beatles, it was very genuine. It was just like, you know, they're teenage guys that ended up getting insanely successful insanely fast. Yeah. <laughs> and like, what can you expect from teenage guys? But now that we know it's possible, I don't know. I just, I feel yeah. like there's a certain image. Exactly. That boy bands have now. And that's part of it is just being like, yeah, we're cool and laid back. Yep. Exactly. So within the first um, six months of 1963, they toured the UK three times. So amidst this recording their LP album, putting out singles, getting so famous, making these, you know, huge record breaking sales, they also were touring a ton. So they were just like on the go constantly at the beginning. When did they sleep? Yeah, I don't think they did. Like literally they were (laughs) always, and the more we talk about it and how quickly they made these albums, it'll blow you away. Like it just constantly. And so that was within that, you know, those first six months, 1963, all that touring and all the screaming, riotous crowds, the press dubbed that but dubbed that the Beatlemania and I thought that was cool like that you know it's kind of like a sickness yes exactly like this is what it is Beatlemania and it really was like that um it's I also learned that 
although they weren't billed as tour leaders when they were touring, they overshadowed overshadowed the American acts. And so then, like, because of the demand, they started getting the top billing because the crowds are like, no, mm-hmm. I'm here to see the Beatles. Like, I don't care right. about this Joe Schmo from America, which was also revolutionary at the time. Because before, when Americans came, musician, American musicians came and performed in the UK, that was the big deal. And now all of a sudden it was like, yeah. no, these are our people and they're the cool ones, you know. Now, what are some American bands or singers that were kind of popular at the time of the Beatles? Like, who would have been knocked off of the, you know, prime spot? for a a concert from the like by the Beatles who would have been who would have been performing with them do you know so the names that we I had read that were overshadowed by the Beatles when they were touring is Tommy Rowe Chris Montez and Roy Orbison I see which Roy Orbison is actually the only one I even recognize me too so and I only know a couple uh, of I mean songs. yeah I guess history really kind of uh just scooted him out of the way. Determined that one, didn't it? <laughs> Survival of the fittest. Survival of the um, catchiest. Yeah, catchiest. That's that's the right word I was looking for. Thank <laughs> so you. that just goes to show, and that's you know show business, right? Like yeah. you gotta, yeah, for sure, you gotta provide, or you you know give people what they want. Otherwise, you're gonna get booted out. So, right. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting that they just kind of took right over. Um, this is an interesting thing. Uh, pertaining to Beatlemania, they went on a tour to Sweden. And when they came back to the UK and they landed in Heathrow in the um, London airport, which actually, um, by the way, was on Halloween of all days, um, there were so many people there at the airport just to greet them. It wasn't even an official concert or anything. People just knew the Beatles are flying back. So we want to be mm-hmm. there. And things got so crazy that the police had to use high pressure hoses to like control the crowds. So they had to like literally spray people to get them to behave properly. <laughs> and be like, here you go. Okay. Are you going to calm down now? You just got like high pressure yeah. water sprayed all over yeah. you. <laughs> Jeez. That's kind of scary to me just because I get nervous in really big crowds. So I'd be like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so that Please Please Me LP, that first album they put out, remained in the top position in the charts for 30 weeks, and it was only replaced once the band's second LP came out. So there was no competing at that point. It was just Beatles after Beatles after Beatles. <laughs> so their next LP, the second one they released, was With the Beatles, and that was released on November 22nd, 1963. This is the same year. So they recorded their first in February. By November, they had released their second, which is bizarre because they feel like in our day and age, like artists coming out an album once a year is amazing. Like usually they have like at least a few and then they tour and they kind of do their thing and they live normal lives. But the Beatles were not doing that. They were just writing and touring. And yeah, writing songs at the same time. That's just, it's too, I'm exhausted thinking Thinking about about it. (laughs) Exactly. I can't. Like, I have a hard enough time with my own life. Yeah. That's exactly what I think. I'm like, <laughs> I wonder if they had, like, girlfriends that they do. Like, they just lived and breathed their music and this. Probably, yeah. yeah. Just, that was all they did. So, I can't imagine, too, they would gotten, like, brothers, you know, super close together all the time. Yeah. And so, oh, yeah. that was kind of cool to think of. Um, so, that album held the top spot for 21 weeks straight, which, 21 weeks straight, top spot, like, that's pretty amazing. And it was the second album in UK history to sell a million copies. The only time that had ever happened before was by the South Pacific soundtrack, which I think is interesting that that sold a million copies in the yeah. UK. I do love South Pacific. I'm a musical person, but I don't know why that sold a million copies. So, good job, Beatles, for beating them on that, too. <laughs> 
Um, so this is another cool thing. The sleeve notes for that album um, had written on it the fabulous foursome. Like that was just something written in, you know, the what we would call now when you pull out the CD and read the stuff, you know. So that was the sleeve notes, the fabulous foursome. And the media adopted that to the Fab Four. And that's where the Fab Four came from was just that written in on their second album. Um, so this is also an interesting thing. The band was taken off and just doing all this amazing work and all the success. And there were issues with it, their albums being released in the U S because of just different logistics and legal things. So, mm-hmm. um, the U S was behind the times on this. So it went from the Beatles being super famous in the UK and Europe, touring a ton and overshadowing the American acts. And then if you go back to America at the time, they were like, who are the Beatles? Because they hadn't been exposed to the music yet because of they didn't, they weren't playing on the radio. They weren't getting this stuff. So after a super expensive marketing campaign, the band's music was finally played on the radio in December of 1963. So at the end of that year that they were taking off. And of course, that was just what jump started in the U.S. And of course, U.S. jumped right on the bandwagon. And was like, "Yes, we love the Beatles." Mm-hmm. So then, on February seventh, nineteen sixty-four, just that following February, the band flew to the U.S. for the first time, and there were huge crowds waiting for them. Everybody just from those couple months was like, "Yep, we know the Beatles and we love them." Um, so their first live U.S. TV performance is on the Ed Sullivan Show, which is pretty famous. A lot of people probably know that <laughs> one. It was watched by 23 million households. Oh, man. Thir- I can just imagine what that looks like. <laughs> just the families just, like, yep. turning their dials and just sitting right in front of their TVs, getting so excited to watch this. Like, for real. That oh, would be man. so cool. Like, I could just I imagine. It sounds, so, it sounds so fun and ideal. Yeah. Just, like, really the type does. of TV you have to, like, turn it on manually. Yeah. yeah and it's just, like, a special occasion yeah. to sit in front of it and watch the beat talks. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, this is our world. This is, like, this is it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the, the thing. And now we just have, like screens and technology everywhere and it's fun to think of a simpler time it's easier yeah yeah so 34 percent of the u.s population the largest audience ever recorded for american tv program 34 percent of everybody in the united states is watching it even up until now or was that was like i mean is that the highest percentage even at this point yes for my research (laughs) it is still the current highest percentage of anyone ever watch you know at the same time watching a tv show in the u.s that's insane so. yeah <laughs> 50 years later it's like still so that's pretty amazing yeah um so they toured throughout the u.s and they were of course greeted very warmly everywhere everyone loved them and um the washington coliseum carnegie hall twice which i am kind of a little nerd i'm i love carnegie hall and i was like what? Oh, yeah the beatles played there too i didn't know that until i researched so i was like yeah pretty cool yeah. And, of course, the Ed Sullivan show again. So, you know, he loved him. So come back again. Um, he got great viewings. So yeah. So, of course, he's again. like, yes, oh, yeah. come. Yeah, make me some more money. And, yeah, it's just amazing. Um, this is something interesting. I also, when I was researching, I found was that the Beatles coming and this new Beatlemania coming to the U.S. Um, sparked this new excitement after the morning of the death of JFK. So I kind of didn't really think of it in that order, but JFK had passed away recently and the country had been mourning and pretty low and then the dumps. And so this was like this new kind of thing that the, that the U S needed to be like, Hey, life's good. And so especially the younger generation and the exciting new music were like, yeah, let's do this. Like, yeah, let's move on. And life's still good. You know? So Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. I definitely could see that. And, um, of course, now 
we, we know as the British invasion is what began. So because of the Beatles coming to the U.S. and touring, it sparked that interest in British bands. And so Dave Clark Five, the Animals, the Kinks, the Rolling Stones, they all kind of came after because of the Beatles example. Then all of a sudden, everyone in the U.S. was like, yeah, we like the British people's music. Let's have them come yeah. visit. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and it's at this point in music history that it's kind of important to note um, <laughs> that American bands and American music producers were trying to figure out like how they could keep up with this as well. And mm-hmm. even though it's not based on any one particular band, I think, um, oh, what's the name of that movie? The one with Tom Hanks uh, about the... The oh, one the wonders. Yeah, the Oneaters. Oh, the Oneaters, yes. Oh, yeah. That what thing is it you called? do. That it's that, that, that thing you do. Thing you do. I yeah. love that music. How could I ever get that out of my head? It's just like the most <laughs> catchy song. That yeah. It just and it's I can totally see that. Yep. Yeah, but I think it's a really fascinating movie to watch from a historical of standpoint because that's how it was. Like music producers mm-hmm. were like, man, if we can have the next Beatles, like. We are set for life. Exactly. Yep. All we need is just that one band that can captivate audiences the same way. And of course, like, I think the closest that any American band got to that would be the Beach Boys. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but even then, like, just comparing the two, obviously I both think have... there is a comparison. Yeah, they've both withstood the test of time, Yeah. clearly. But, like, as far I as... I mean, you can name... I think an average person honestly average person can name like at least 10 Beatles songs yeah. but they certainly couldn't do that not yeah. with for not with Beach Boys yeah, yeah just no. the average on the street right. person right like I would be able to but <laughs> not <the laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not average like, I'm not so average I know that I'm <laughs> just kidding <laughs> oh, I do love the Beach Boys but not quite as yeah, much as the Beatles <laughs> not quite or else we'd be doing an episode about Beach Boys yes, I'm sure exactly <laughs> So the next album they released, the third one, was A Hard Day's Night, and it actually started as um, a film. So the band filmed a mock documentary, or a mockumentary, if you will, and it was a huge success, and then that came along with the LP they released. So what they did was they had the soundtrack to the movie on one side, and the other side had other new recordings. So, like... They're touring a ton, they're releasing all these albums, they're starring in movies, they have a soundtrack to the movie they wrote, plus original new songs. Like, and that's all in, like, less than two years' time. Like, that's just amazing to me. Mm-hmm. So I need a nap. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> so do they. Um, and so that album was the – A Hard Day's Night was the album that critics say was when they truly came into their own as a band. And they started to say, okay, like, this is who the Beatles are. And so I thought that was interesting. I felt like that was when they kind of shift and, like, this is who they are as a band. This is what their music is, you know. So in 1964, there was a world tour. Um, They did a 30-concert tour in the U.S. of 23 cities they visited. So they came back to the U.S. again and visited that time. Um, This is really interesting to me as well. 10 to 20,000 fans for each 30-minute concert. Like, I go to a concert nowadays, and I expect, like, at least two hours. At least two hours. I actually went and saw the Eagles recently, and they just were amazing and played for, like, almost three hours straight, and I was just like, whoa, that's exhausting. But people would come for 30 minutes to see the Beatles, yeah, and there was upwards of 20,000 people there at each concert. 
Wow. Which is ridiculous. <laughs> like, that's a huge crowd to be smushed into for a 30-minute concert. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any band that I would be willing to do that for. And, you know, you also have to assume that some of these people are driving quite a ways oh, yeah. to get there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, let's say I had to drive to Las Vegas, which it is far more likely that a band would perform in Las Vegas than they would in Salt Lake. It does mm-hmm. happen, but, you yeah. know... So you go to Las Vegas, which is a six-hour drive from here. Five if you ignore speed limits. Um, <laughs> like, I can't imagine a band that I would drive that far just to see a half hour yeah. for. I don't think I like any band enough to do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. And I'm I'm a pretty big fan of... A, I consider myself a pretty big fan of a few artists, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I would either. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that's just fascinating to me. I'm like, wow, 30 minutes. There you go. It was during this world tour that we spoke of here in 1964 that the Beatles met Bob Dylan for the first time. And oh, Bobby D. Yeah, <laughs> Bob Dylan. And um, I thought it was interesting that some of the critics said that after that meeting, there was a shift between not just the Beatles, but also Bob Dylan. The Beatles became a little bit more mature in their mm-hmm. appearance and their sound and their music. And Bob Dylan, he became a little bit less of the, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Misanthrope? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and he embraced more of the pop culture. And so there's this yeah. interesting shift that goes along with them meeting each other. Apparently they oh, were I love that. big fans of each other and super, you know, respectful and it was exciting for them to meet each other. So that was cool. I think that's really neat when you see artists like actually respect each other and like each other. And it's not just doggy and change, dog. Yeah. So and change and grow and learn from because that's what life is, you know. So yeah. Um, this is one of my favorite things that I learned that I did not know before. During this world tour, the Beatles refused to play at any segregated concerts. And they canceled reservations when they found out that they were booked at a white only hotel. They checked out of that hotel and they wouldn't go there. Going forward in other tours, they planned ahead in their contracts. They had stipulations saying that they couldn't perform unless it was an integrated concert and that everyone was allowed to be there. That is just so cool. So cool. <laughs> Good job, guys. Good job, Beatles. I I have my opinions on certain members of the band that are not very good opinions of them, but uh, this one, this one's good. Yeah. This one's good. I think that's good you bring that up because there is that balance as I'm researching this and as I've learned and know about these individuals as human beings and their flaws and faults that I can't condone all of the things they do and say and certain lifestyle choices and such. But it's good to be able to step back and say, okay, like, yeah, that was a good choice. Good job. And for me to say I still love their music and I appreciate them, but it doesn't mean that I 100% condone everything they do. (laughs) So just as a disclaimer. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Okay, so Beatles for Sale is their next album that came out. And that was released on December 4th, 1964. So another album. Um, and there was a lot of pressure put on them between their creative ambitions and the commercial success. So they're starting to fill this balance between like, we're just popping out music because this is what people want. And we are actual true artists and we want to perform and to give people something really good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the time constraints between the touring and everything, they had to include six covers, which I didn't realize as a kid that some of their songs aren't actually original. The older Beatles songs aren't all original. Right, yeah. yeah. I think one of my one of my favorite non-Beatles Beatles songs mm-hmm. is Twist and Shout. And when I first learned that it wasn't a Beatles song, I was like, Oh, I didn't know that. What? 
Yeah. It's a little little heartbreaking. Yeah, it's just a little bit. Because, you know, you look at the, the scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off now where everybody's dancing. And at first you're like, yeah, it's one of the better Beatles songs from their early career. And now you're like... Oh, but it's not. Yeah. So who, do you guys know who that is? I'm not sure who it was originally. You know, I... That doesn't matter. <laughs> I've looked it up. Yeah, I've looked it up before, and I can't remember his name. Yeah. It just, it's another thing where it's like, history remembers that the Beatles covered that song. Exactly. And... Yep. That's that's the version that everybody yeah. knows. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of fascinating. My husband is like a walking trivia game like literally he just knows random trivia about everything and so he'll like teach me about things and he'll tell me when like there's a song that's made famous by someone and he's like oh actually it was originally by such and such you know and i'm always like what so it goes to show like audrey said like you remember who made it famous you know yes so just interesting Mm -hmm. but they also the critics also said in that album even though they had those six covers they also had eight original songs and those really stood out and it started to show this songwriting partnership of lennon mccartney which a bunch of the beatles songs are lennon mccartney credited as the two of them writing together and so their relationship as songwriters started to take off and them working together so going back to what we said about not condoning all their choices, this was the time around 1965 when the Beatles started to be known for using drugs and LSD specifically, and yeah. they start talking about it publicly. So there goes oh, that. Oh, okay. um, I don't condone that personally. <laughs> I have to say that. But they made some um, pretty good music consequently though. But that's exactly what they said. A bunch yeah. of the you know, the quotes about it was this is how, how I was able to it. expand my mind and be so creative. <laughs> and uh, you can definitely tell that in some of the songs and you're like, This certainly. is a drug trip song yeah. and it's just lovely. So yeah. Um shortly after this, Queen Elizabeth II appointed all four Beatle members Beatles members to the Order of the British Empire. <laughs> So they were nominated by the prime minister at the time, Harold Wilson, and he's nominated them and the queen agreed to this. So they were appointed to this special honor being members of the order of the British Empire. And there was a controversy, of course, that came with that because previously it had only typically been bestowed upon military veterans and civic leaders and people that type. And so for these four young rock and roll druggy boys <laughs> given this honor was pretty pretty big deal so there was obviously some controversy with that but of course we know the people still loved the Beatles and they kept going so after that they made help and that was another movie soundtrack duo um similar to hard day's night um it was their last album to include any covers so that's interesting to know after that mm, yeah. all of it was original this was when they used some classical instruments, started introducing some of that, which I'm a huge fan of personally, so I love that. I think it is the coolest thing when you can add classical music to rock and roll and like just have that. Some of my favorite, uh, I have so many favorite Beatles songs, but some of them are these types. So, mm-hmm. um, Yesterday was, was released then, and that song has inspired the most cover versions of any song ever written. Oh, I didn't know that. Which I thought is interesting because there's a lot of Beatles songs that are covered a lot. But Yesterday is one that is the very top. You know, yeah, I think I do remember reading, uh, like, the most covered Beatles songs. And I was really surprised to hear that it was that. But it kind of makes, I don't know, it makes sense. Yeah. 
when you think about it, it really is kind of a beautiful song. I do love it. It's just beautiful. And it's funny. I was listening to it a couple weeks ago, and my husband was like, that's kind of a really depressing <laughs> song, Lexi. Oh, yes. And I said, oh, yes. I know it is, but, like, sometimes you just need that. Your soul needs that. And then you need oh, a bunch yeah. of happy oh, yeah, stuff. And you need to, you need to weep a little <laughs> yeah. bit sometimes. It's therapeutic. Exactly. So. Yeah. And I think there are plenty of Beatles songs like that. Like, yeah. I'm half tempted to go and, like, make a Beatles songs that make me cry playlist yeah. now. Like, Eleanor Rigby's going <sighs> to be on it. Oh, yeah. Um, I think Let It Be isn't necessarily, like, a depressing one, but it is very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, more somber, yeah. Yeah, it, it is more somber. That's a good word for that. And, uh, oh. Aud- Audrey doesn't like that song. <laughs> isn't, that her, isn't that, like, one of your least favorite Beatles songs? Let It Be? Yeah, I thought I remembered you expressing that you at, at work that you really didn't like that one. Oh no! No, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That was me. Never Thank mind. Wait, wait a second. I was so confused for a second because I was like, "No, it's one of my top five favorite songs." <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> That's awesome. Well. <sighs> Yes. <laughs> I just have to say, I when I think of Let It Be now, I think of Sesame Street and Letter B. Have you guys ever seen that? <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> oh I, I think the reason, oh, it really man. is a good song. The reason I dislike it is because when I was in choir in high school, whenever class was over, everyone would rush, well, a few people would rush down to the piano in the center of the room and start to play first. They'd try to be the first person to play a song. <laughs> and for some reason, it was always either Let It Be or um, Sticks or Lean On Me. It was one of those three songs. So I hate all of those songs now. I know what you I'm mean. just sick of them. Yeah, when the song gets overplayed, it's hard to love it still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So in um, following after Help was released, the Beatles participated in their third U.S. tour in 1965. And that is when they met Elvis Presley. And he had actually been a big influence on their music, which I thought was interesting to see. Again, I'm this big advocate for we should love each other and learn from each other and well, yes so i think that's cool because we obviously know all this was huge and made huge impact on the world as well so not quite as much as the beatles but he's still a pretty cool guy so that was interesting to me they they got to meet him and were like you know starstruck themselves so that was pretty cool um in september 1965 there was an american saturday morning cartoon series launched about the beatles i did not know that and I thought of you guys in your cartoon episodes, so that made me really yeah. happy. <laughs> Pretty cool. It was the first weekly TV series to feature animated versions of living people. Yeah. They're just... That's so cool. Like... <laughs> they're just groundbreakers. I yeah. guess. Uh-huh. Like, I know that nobody can really see my body language here, but, like, as I'm listening to this and reading these notes, I'm just, like... Your hands like, are thrown up, I bet. Uh, well, like, I've got my... Th- face in my hands and I'm just like so (laughs) aggravated with just how exhausting all of this sounds and how Uh they just went ahead and they did everything first like save something for the rest of us (laughs) exactly exactly it it's like wait who can say that they've done something that no one's done before I don't think yeah it's pretty impressive. impressive 
So after that, Rubber Soul was released. And this album was different for them because it was the first time they were able to actually record over an extended period of time. And they didn't have a ton of other major commitments. Whereas in the past, all those other albums were amidst touring and filming their movies and all of that. So this time it was a little different. They had a little more time on their hands. Um, it was a time when they talked a lot about smoking marijuana and becoming more experimental, even more so. With their music and artful, artful, mm-hmm. and artful. <laughs> like that's not funny. No, that's me. I am the artful. <laughs> the artful the on the hill. Yeah, there's a little Beatles pun for you. Fun. Um, now, this is actually when they just stopped touring, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of a big deal because, and I don't know how I know this, but you know, I've got that reservoir in my brain that's like, I need this trivia for later. But they got kind of tired of mm-hmm. having to deal with all of the crowds and the fans and just kind of the stress exactly. of all that. Yeah. And so starting at about this time, like, they just stopped doing concerts. And I think the only other concert that they did all together after this was the rooftop concert mm-hmm. on the, the roof of the Apple Studios building. Yep. So, um, yeah, and, and it's just... I think it's really noticeable because Rubber Soul is, I think, I don't think it's like the true turning point for their music. Mm, right. But you can definitely see like they're starting to think about it. They're shifting. Yeah. But yeah, you can tell in Revolver, like they definitely, that's when they get into the more like rock and roll stuff mm-hmm. and less of the pop less stuff. The pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, clearly not touring and not having to deal with the fans was a huge uh, influence on that. Of course. Yeah. So that was kind of like a turning point for them for sure. They did do one other tour, but it was, this was like the on-ramp for the, I think we're sick of touring. And then they did one final one later, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so after this, there ended up being some more, um, controversies and the media and, and it ended up kind of being a little bit more of a stressful period for the Beatles. So a couple things that happened were, they had an issue with the first lady in in the Philippines and they accidentally like snubbed her, if you will. And that oh. caused issues with them even like leaving the country because they were touring there. So that was kind of scary. Um, uh, there's the infamous comment by John Lennon about the Beatles being bigger than Jesus, which is not <laughs> my favorite because I'm a Christian. Like Con- <laughs> yeah, it kind of sounds like Kanye. So, <laughs> sounds like Kanye controversy. Yeah, a little bit. They, they do kind of remind me of each other in some of their ways. Um, yeah. Lennon specifically, you think? Yeah, it was. I yeah. feel like Lennon specifically. I, uh, yeah, just through everything I've read and researched, mm-hmm. he's definitely on a different. And I know he, the kind of person. Yeah, yeah, I know the kind of person Lennon is, and I'm aware of all that. But he is kind of embarrassingly my favorite Beatle, and so maybe <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe yeah, maybe his his likeliness to Kanye has something to do with that. I just yeah. yeah. I mean, I was gonna say shame on you, Carmen, but like, <laughs> also I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you love Kanye too. <laughs> I love you. It. Have to no, and it's more honestly. I know who I know who he was. I just the songs. All of my favorite songs were written by john lennon and so and i think that's good like i think that's part of having a mature mindset about things is like 
you know, you don't necessarily love everything someone does, but yeah. you can still love them. You I mean, separate the, separate the artist from their person, exactly. you know, separate their art from. Yes, yeah. I agree with that 100%. So that's what I have to do with most of my favorite yeah. artists. Right. It's true. And so it's hard because yeah. I feel like, there, you know, I there's a lot of judgy people around and I get oh, yeah. nervous like, oh, people are going to think, oh, Lexi, she likes the Beatles. You know what? I love yeah. the Beatles. I don't care what you think. Yeah, I love the Beatles. Yeah. And no, I don't 100% agree with everything, but that's okay. They still are amazing. They had great music, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it made an impact on my life. So there exactly. you go. <laughs> but um, there's also something I wanted to point out also during this time. At the time, um, at this time, the U.S. was having some different issues with the albums being released. And so, again, to do with legal things and logistics. And so they were releasing different albums. So the ones that we're going through here are all the U.K. albums that were released in the order. Whereas at the U.S., even though they had the Beatles already toured there a few times and they were very well known, actually being released, there were different compilations of CDs and things. So that's something interesting. If you you know if you ever see like other albums, you're like, wait, what is this? It's not the official LP from the Beatles. It's whatever the U.S. released. So that's kind of different. Um, so then in August of 1966, Revolver came around. That was their next album. And this that was termed as innovative classical arrangements to psychedelic rock. So even more using the classical instruments and then a lot more of the psychedelic rock coming in, a lot of more of that, you know, that kind of filled to it. Um, this is the time period where George Harrison started to stand out more as a songwriter before it had been mostly Lennon McCartney. And most of the Beatles songs are Lennon McCartney. But mm-hmm. George Harrison started to step up and actually kind of do some more. And some of my favorite songs are his, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I've always kind of had a weird, like, longing for more George Harrison songs because they are my favorite Beatles songs. Mm -hmm. But also, like, I've secretly been afraid that maybe if he had written more, they wouldn't have been as good. That's a (laughs) good point. Kind of like, you know, Harper Lee wrote one book in her career. Right, and it's amazing. And it's an amazing (laughs) book. It's like one of the top five best american books of all time and you know it's like well why couldn't she write more but at the same time like well but we have one really good book so i kind of apply that logic to george harrison to make me feel a little bit better like why couldn't we have more george harrison songs well we have here comes the sun and does that song just make you happy? And it does. It it's just like w- it like really fills my soul. It's, with it feels like sunshine. Like when it's like the dead of cold winter and it's January, so Christmas is gone, and I get all sad because Christmas is gone. Mm-hmm. Why do we have snow still? And <laughs> I want to just listen to "Here Comes the Sun," and then I feel so much better. <laughs> yeah, it has a good effect. So I kind of love that. And you know, too much of a good thing is a bad thing, right? So right. that's how you can think about with George Harrison songs, right? So Revolver was also different in their artistic drawing on the fo- there was instead of a photograph of the band there was an artistic artistic drawing for the artwork. So that was kind of a shift too before they'd had some different types of poses and things but they were like oh we're going to do artwork instead of just photograph. And so that was kind of cool they're just still evolving and changing. And so after that was when they decided as Audrey mentioned earlier that they were already getting the last two recordings where they actually had time to record and they weren't touring they decided we're sick of touring. We're going to do one last final hurrah. And so part of the reason was they couldn't hear it. You couldn't even hear the music over the crowds. Like, why would you go to a concert if you really can't even hear it? Like, right. I mean, yeah. if you're that starstruck, I guess it wouldn't matter to you. But Yeah, I, just to see them, you know. <laughs> yeah, but as an artist, like, that's something I really appreciate, appreciate about the Beatles is that, yeah, they were so famous, but they were true artists. And 
musicians. And so if they can't even actually like do show their art effectively, they're like, this may not be for us, you know? Um, and they also realized that when they're touring, it wasn't really about their music. It was just about that Beatlemania of everyone just loving them. And so they ended up doing that final tour to the U.S. And their very last commercial concert was at San Francisco's Ca- Candlestick Park on August 26, 1966. And um, this is interesting. No songs from Revolver were performed there just because of the logistics of it. Huh. They couldn't bring in an orchestra and all these things mm-hmm. with them. And they just didn't want to. You know, they, they wouldn't do it justice. So they ended their four years of almost nonstop touring, and they had ended with 1,400 concerts under their belt. <laughs> and they were like, okay. But the coolest part is that the Beatles kept making lots of great music. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. even though they said bye-bye and they ended their con- last concert at Candlestick Park before the infamous rooftop concert was their very last hurrah later, years later, they did end up making a bunch of more music and albums and... So we go into from 1966 to 1970 was their studio years. So really, from here on out, they didn't they didn't tour or perform. Not at all. They had one last wow. concert, the rooftop concert, which we'll talk about that shortly. Okay, and cool. That wasn't even like a formal concert. It was them on a rooftops performing. You know, it wasn't right. like get mm-hmm. tickets and come to this. So their last official commercial concert was that one, August 26, 1966, San Francisco, Candlestick Park. So. Which doesn't exist anymore. They they oh, tore down Candlestick yeah. Park. So that's kind of sad. But they built a really cool new park, so. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to that one. That's nice. <laughs> We're okay. big fans. The studio years, 1966 to 1970, the Beatles stopped performing and they came out with a bunch of albums just back to back again. But they, at this time, they were spending hours and days and months creating these albums. Among them were Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. Magical Mystery Tour, which also had a film according, attached with the soundtrack. That's that, that's my favorite album. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Why did you like it the best? It's just really zany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just it, like it's transportative. It's like, I don't know, if it's like a look into what drugs are, they're taking yes. are probably like without actually having to take those drugs. Exactly. You know? <laughs> it's very, very cool. Yeah. Just like totally different when you compare yeah. it to the early, early Beatles, you know? Right. For sure. Uh, and I, I mentioned earlier that Please Please Me is my second favorite album. My first favorite album depends on my mood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. But it's usually a toss up between Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band or Magical Mystery Tour. Mm-hmm. And Nick yeah. gives me a really hard time about Magical Mystery Tour because he's like, they don't even have all of the best songs on that one. But I'm like, mm-hmm. but it's your the whole No, the whole entire thing is just such a weird experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just it's such a true. unique experience. It's just so unique. Even now, like, there's nothing you can quite compare to these oh, albums. No. You no. know? It's just different. And then, um, yeah, it just changed popular culture in the sense that this wasn't just these, you know, catchy pop songs that are, the, you know, the standard two-minute song and it's over. These were these experimental, artistic, psychedelic, <laughs> these, you know, it raised the bar mm-hmm. in that sense with pop culture totally. to say, okay, like, this is music and this is what it's truly like to be an artist uh-huh, and not just totally. give you something that's just catchy and makes you happy. Yeah. And totally. I think it was a huge part of the culture uh, that we saw kind of rise at the time of people who would just buy an album, put it on their turntable and just sit and listen. Mm-hmm. Like that was when people would go over to their friends' houses and just like, Hey, you want to come over and listen to this album? And 
I mean, if it was Sergeant Peppers, if somebody offered that to me, I'd be like, yes. <laughs> I love it. Yes, please. That's pretty cool. Why, why is this a question? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then after Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band Magical Mystery Tour came the White Album, which actually is not the name. It is just called The Beatles, but it is known as the White Album because the album cover is white and there's oh. bas- there's nothing else. It's just well, white. there you go. <laughs> so yeah. it became known as the White Album because that's what it was. It was white. Um, cool. And so this was another point for the Beatles where they really started to um, struggle as a band so before they, you know, they started changing, they stopped touring, their music changed. Now they're starting to struggle with each other and their relationships. And instead of it being like all of them working together and writing together or, you know, Lennon and McCartney working together and writing, it's a, this is a McCartney song. This is a Lennon song. This is a Harrison song. This is a star song every once in a while, you know. And so it was just this interesting, more of like a compilation of individual artists instead of them working together. And this is kind of the beginning of the band's breakup in that sense. After that, there was Yellow Submarine, which also was a film and soundtrack. And then they had their final performance. So they had their final performance, the rooftop concert, on top of the Apple Corps building, which is um, on top where they were recording um, in London on January 30th, 1969. And then they actually did release a couple more albums. But that was their last final hurrah. And if you've ever watched, have you ever watched the film of that? No, mm-hmm. I haven't. So if you go onto Hulu, you can find a Beatles documentary called Eight Days a Week, and it gives you basically everything we're talking about. It shows tons of clips and footage, and it also shows you this infamous rooftop concert, which is really awesome because it's just it's a cool experience to see. Like, this is the last time the Beatles ever performed together. So I would recommend looking that up for sure. Anyone is interested. After that rooftop concert, they did release a couple more albums, Abbey Road, and I love this. It was released on, or it started recording on my birthday, so that makes me happy when I was doing my research. July 2nd, hooray. And I have to tell you, that's my favorite album. And that says a lot for me because I always say, like, this is my favorite, and I could probably list, like, 20 favorite Beatles songs, but for me to pick one album... I don't even think necessarily that the songs in there are all my favorites. It's just the way that you listen to it. Yeah. You listen to it as a whole. It's like you were saying, you could just sit there and listen to it. And I love road trips and just listening to the entire Abbey Road album. It goes from song to song. It morphs. It's like a whole journey. It's like it's it a really story. It really is. Yeah. And I was making a playlist for my mom many, many years ago uh, where we were going to be on the airplane and flying can sometimes give her a little bit of anxiety, which is understandable because she was in a plane crash when she was a teenager. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just a little bit of anxiety. And she asked me to put on an individual song from Abbey Road, and I can't even remember which one it is, but I remember putting it on and I was listening to it and I was like, it doesn't feel like a complete song though even though it is even though it's its own track right it definitely just feels like it doesn't have a beginning or an end and a lot of it does have to do with the nature of the album Mm -hmm. and so even though yes sergeant peppers or magical mystery tour is my favorite 
I think that Abbey Road is their most important. That's how I feel about it. I think that's why ultimately it is my favorite album, even though so many of their songs that I love are not necessarily on that album. Yeah. So very cool. Um, Let It Be was their last final released album as a group in 1970. The interesting part about that is most of it was recorded prior to Abbey Road. So it goes a little out of order with releasing versus recording for the first time. Um, For whatever reason, they ended up finalizing, adding a little bit more, and then releasing Let It Be. And then the band dissolved in 1970. So another interesting part is that when Abbey Road came out in 69, they already were starting to have solo careers. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. before my research how quickly. It wasn't like, okay, we broke up and now we're individual artists. Yeah, they were kind of anticipating it, it seems. Exactly. John Lennon, he already, on July 4th, two days after they started recording Abbey Road, already had his first solo or his, um, yeah, his first solo single, Give Peace a Chance, which is one of his really famous ones. So mm-hmm. that was an interesting thing to learn is that they were anticipating, like you said, Carmen. So um, they dissolved. They went their separate ways in 1970. It took four years for them to actually legally be dissolved as a band because of all the logistics and all the monies. So they're pretty wealthy. So Yeah, and that's just <laughs> something that I had never really thought of before because when you think about a band breaking up like I don't know I've always thought about it in the same way that you think of like I don't know just like a boyfriend and girlfriend breaking up (laughs) yeah and that like okay whatever like you go your separate ways and that's it you know and I guess it is a little bit more like a divorce in that sense exactly instead of just a breakup so interesting there was something when I was reading that said something about years later and it's it said that Lennon and McCartney were together at Lennon's apartment or something and I just thought in my head wait no the band's broken up like why are you still friends <laughs> yeah and then it gave me actually hope to be like oh okay like they knew they weren't working together but that was cool they were still friends you know yeah and so within that same year they broke up all four of them already had solo albums released like boom right away so pretty fascinating to me yeah Then there were a bunch of compilation albums, greatest hits, I mean, just a ton. And from the 70s to present, there's been all sorts of different ones. One of my favorites is one, you know, Beatles one, it's all their number ones. Because it's just like an awesome, stick it in the CD player and you just listen to it and it just goes through all the greatest hits, you know? Yeah. I got to the point in high school where... If I were to hear one of the songs from that album individually, I'd start singing the next song that would go in order of the CD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, I did the exact same thing. <laughs> and you're yeah. like ready for the next song and you're like, oh, wait, that was just on the radio. That wasn't that wasn't on the CD. Oops. <laughs> so pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I think that was my first kind of uh, serious kind of uh, foray into the, the band. And that's when I really started to, like, understand why people really liked them. And, uh, I mean, it was released in 2000. I was 11 years old at the time. So it wasn't, you know, too, too late in life. Right. But it definitely took me a few more years before I was like, oh, no, this song is from this album. This song is from this album. And, like, that's when I really got to, like, differentiate between the musical styles and understand, you know, what they did as artists rather than like you know artists now musicians now that are just like yeah we've got to release as many number one hits as possible yeah 
Amen, Audrey, like what you just said is exactly like how I would say for me too. Yeah. Like you just said that perfectly. So thank you for explaining that so nicely because that's exactly how I felt. Where I was like, oh, I'm getting, I'm learning. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Cool. Yeah. So in that time, I think we'll just briefly touch on like the personal lives of some of the Beatles um, because it would be, I think, irresponsible of us to not mention John Lennon's murder. Mm-hmm in mm-hmm. 1980 Catcher in the Rye so, has gotten a lot of really What weird... could it have done to the reader? Right. Know, to yeah. compel him. Yeah. It's just one of those weird things. And it, it yeah, really, I mean, I could be very, very wrong about this because I didn't research it beforehand, but it is definitely one of the f- first things that I remember, like the earliest instances I remember of a fan murdering a celebrity like a fan murdering a celebrity out of, out of like just extreme fandom yeah just like i love right. you so much that I, I can't stand it if you exist anymore yeah what's the That's, thought process there i guess they do say there's a little fine line between love and hate right so a guy just oh, snapped yeah. and th- it's just fascinating to me like and scary to think about you know that yeah for sure i just can't imagine and i remember when i was in high school um, my family, we went on a trip to New York City. It was our first time going on a trip that wasn't a road trip. So it was this really exciting event. And we had all had our, our list of what we wanted to do in New York. And my dad was like, I really want to go see the place where John Lennon was shot. And all my siblings were like, nah, I don't want to do that. And now looking back, I'm like, man, you guys, we should have done that. Yeah. Like, why did why were we little bratty kids? I was all for it. My sisters were the ones who were a little yeah. whiny. But it's just interesting. It's a, It definitely changed history, you know? So... Yeah, it really did. And uh, if it hasn't been obvious by now yet, George Harrison was my favorite Beatle. And it wasn't just because (laughs) of his songs. It was because of a lot of the things that he did after the Beatles broke up. Mm -hmm. He made a lot of friends with a lot of very famous musicians. um, And that's why when he died, uh, a lot of very, again, very famous musicians got together, did concert for George. It is... One of my favorite musical things, just ever, just mm-hmm. of all music dumb, Concert for George is one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, you do kind of have to skip over the first like 40 minutes because it's a lot of Indian music because he got oh, yeah. into the whole like Hare Krishna thing. Exactly. Um, but then after that, you have uh, two Monty Python songs, which if you don't know his relationship with Monty Python just seems kind of weird. But he got really close with um, a a few of the members of Monty Python's Flying Circus. And he actually mortgaged his house to help pay to produce the movie Life of Brian. And so it's just kind of one of those funny things where, like, I actually have a copy of Life of Brian and he's listed as a producer. And it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, hey, it's that guy. That's (laughs) cool. Um, and he formed the supergroup, the Traveling Wilburys. And oh. yeah, which, yeah, so the members of the Traveling Wilburys are George Harrison, 
Roy Orbison. Oh, who we talked who about earlier. we talked about earlier. <laughs> yeah. That comes full circle. Tom Petty. Oh, I love Tom Petty. Yeah. And he just died recently. Yeah. Broke my heart. Yeah. I never got to see him in concert. Bob him. Dylan. Bob Dylan. Bobby. <laughs> Jeff Lynne. Yeah, and, Jeff Lynne. Uh, Jim Keltner, who I think out of all of those people, Jim Keltner is the only one that I don't recognize right off the top yeah. of my head. Me too. But... That's probably because he's a drummer, and yeah. <laughs> not to knock too much on drummers, but come on, guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, that's a lot of really famous people. And mm-hmm. Jeff Lynne played um, a lot at Concert for George, as well as Eric Clapton, yes. and he played a lot at Concert for George. That is my spiel. I'm getting off my soapbox now. A great, <laughs> a great album. I remember Goodbye. when Audrey burned me the CDs in high school and said, here, I think you'll love this. And I do. And I love the, all the different artists and the, the tributes, which is such a wonderful man. I thought it was cool they did it one year after he passed away mm-hmm. as an anniversary. So pretty cool. Um, So there were some more, you know, albums released. Let It Be Naked was interesting to me. They, they took that album and they took strings off of it. So instead of adding orchestrations they took it off so that i guess that's part of the mm. naked part um, i like that's experimental yeah so they just have done a lot of different things which makes sense i mean it's the biggest band ever so and then love was released which uh carmen and i both saw that show it's a cirque du soleil yes. show in las vegas and, and it's like gorgeous like amazing. i was cr- i mean i'm not even embarrassed like i was crying yeah at many points just because of oh, just the entire production yeah it was so good. Just amazing and all inspired. If you're not f- familiar with Cirque du Soleil, it's like aerobatic. Is that the word? <laughs> Aerobic. Aerobic. Or, or, no. Acrobatics. Acrobatics. Thank you. <laughs> Acrobatics and dancing. And it was just this amazing. I mean, it's Vegas, so it's an amazing show, of course. And then they released, of course, the soundtrack with that. And it has, you know, mixes and blends of all these Beatles recordings. And they just put it into this really cool you know, soundtrack. Um, I love that. My memory of going to that because my older sister surprised me and got me tickets for that, which was really special. I have this thing where like when somebody knows I love something and they, you know, that just like warms your heart, you know? So pretty special to me that she did that and took me to that because although I am born and raised, was born and raised in Las Vegas, I haven't seen a ton of the shows there. So I guess when you're a local, you don't know as much. It is, it is definitely a misconception that People who live in Vegas, like, do everything yeah. that people, mm-hmm. like, tourists do. Right. I mean, how many times have people asked you, Lexi, like, oh, what hotel do you live in? Oh, yeah, for real. Like, in our country. <laughs> like, it's one thing if you're in Europe. It's another thing when you're, like, in two states over and you're like, are you serious? Like, do you know there's, like, like two million people? In yeah. They like, can't all fit on the strip. Like, yeah, <laughs> the strip is a very just, small part. It was just such a weird thing. Like, yeah. after I moved to Las Vegas, uh-huh. you know, I would have friends that would be like oh so what hotel do you live in and i was like i i don't yeah in a a house just like yours pretty similar build and everything yeah (laughs) and actually geographically to me like where i live at in utah now it looks very similar to where we lived in vegas where there's a lot of undeveloped land still lots Mm -hmm. of new new construction outskirts of town you know 
So, but yes, growing up in Las Vegas, I they mean there's very few shows I've actually seen, and it's usually because it's something that's my favorite. I saw the Phantom show there uh-huh. after mm-hmm. seeing Phantom on Broadway twice, and in London, <laughs> I finally saw it in Vegas. <laughs> and then, not funny how so, that works. Yes, it's just so it's ironic. And then saw Love, and that was just a special thing that my sister took me to. Also throughout high school and my college years, I went to a lot of cover band Beatles concerts and tribute bands, and um, with my dad my uncle even with my husband and so just a special thing to me all that those people that are commemorating the Beatles and just that fun time enjoying their music and I just have this thing where I I love when you're with other people who love what you love and so that's always like a fun thing but I also have this struggle with I don't want to just be one of the crowd like the Beatles are the most famous band ever so if I love them like I have to prove it you know but oh, right. Do you know no, that I feeling? Understand. Yeah, I understand that mindset. And mm-hmm. I'm slowly able to get out of it yeah. because like you like what you like and you kind of, yeah, you kind of want to be a little bit. I think everyone want, kind of wants to stand out and be a little bit different. And if your favorite band is the Beatles, you know, how different can that be? But that just shouldn't matter. You know, like your own your own like love for them is what should matter and it shouldn't be compared to anyone else's and you shouldn't feel like you have to prove it either you know but I totally understand what you mean thank you for validating me that you said that perfectly I'm like always how dare you guys like good music how dare you yeah it's popular that's what I always say it's popular for for a reason it it you know it kind of reaches a lot of people and a lot of people will you know poop on that because they're like oh you're just you know you're going with the masses or whatever and you're just like who cares (laughs) but for me to be able to say like hey I actually when I researched this I actually knew a lot of these things maybe not like all these statistics and things but I knew a lot and you know that That also is very validating and to be like oh and I actually know a lot of this music and you know and not just because it's when they're popular ones but because I know it you know it's part of it so yeah yeah and then uh, I think that this is kind of a little fact that's disappearing, you know, as time goes on and it just becomes a little less relevant. But for a while, it was kind of hard to get a hold of the rights to Beatles songs, mm-hmm. like in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, because I think it was it was Michael Jackson's estate. Yeah, it right? was. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So Michael Jackson's <laughs> estate owned the rights to the Beatles songs and so it was kind of a big deal when one came out because that was like the first compilation in a long long yeah, time. Very long time. Um and I'm not doing this to talk about one again, I'm doing this to talk about the Beatles rock band, which I am just like so in love with that game. I loved so rock cool. band to begin with mm-hmm. because that was how Nick and I kind of bonded when we were first dating. And then after we got married, um like I don't know, maybe a couple years after we got married, the Beatles rock band came out and we were like, we're buying this. And we bought it and we played through the entire game in like one afternoon because (laughs) we just couldn't stop. That's awesome. And the visuals were amazing and it was so much fun. And there were a couple of songs that were like actually really hard because like, guys, what are you doing? Like, this isn't a contest. You're already the best. Stop trying to make this so hard and complicated. Mm-hmm. But it was a fun time. That's awesome. So as Audrey said, there were a lot of issues with getting rights to the songs, to the Beatles songs, which is so weird to me because of the fact that if there's someone who wrote the music that's living and they don't have the rights to that song, it's so weird. Like, but I wrote that, you know? 
there's still two living Beatles, so wait a second here, you know. Why don't they own yeah, it? Yeah, because it's their music. But um, after a lot of working out the kinks and a lot of disputes, the f- band's music was finally made available on iTunes in 2010, which is not that long ago. So that's pretty interesting to see, like, you know, the most famous band and that, that took that long for their music to be made available for the mass public to buy on iTunes, you know. So also part of the reason of that, along with the disputes with the legal and royalties and such, um, was there's the disagreement between Apple, who owns iTunes, and Apple, who was the label that the Beatles recorded them. So, I mean, if you have ever seen some of the original Beatles CD, you know, not albums, but CDs, you know, that they've made of them, there's a lot of times there's like a picture of a green apple, like, sliced open. So that Mm. was part of the thing. And so... Yeah, Apple and Apple. Interesting. And then more recently, we've got uh, an event that happened on February 9th, 2014. It was called The Night That Changed America. It was a Grammy salute to the Beatles. And the big deal was that it aired exactly 50 years at the same time and on the same network after their first U.S. TV appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, which, Hmm. you know, going back to what we talked about, what, 40 minutes ago now, like... That was a big deal. It had huge ratings. Mm-hmm. And 34% of America was watching. I don't think 34% of America was watching this one because I don't even remember that this happened. I have to tell you the same thing. And I felt almost ashamed of myself <laughs> that I didn't know that because that was not that long ago. And now I need to find where I can watch it because I'm sure it's amazing. It included performances by the two living Beatles, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. It included lots of documentary footage and... Um, current artists doing covers which i have to say i love i love covers i mm-hmm. love the across the universe soundtrack i love oh, yes. covers oh, because yes. it's such good music and it's fun to just take it a great song and put a new spin on it you know yeah and so i definitely need to find where i can watch that yeah so i'm glad it's not just me that didn't know <laughs> we're still true fans yeah yes <laughs> beatles for life um beatles for life i and i do want to just talk really briefly about across the universe just because yeah. that is such a cool movie it is it's a cool movie and i know that a lot of fans like either love it or hate it and they're like sure. oh it's so disrespectful to the beatles and it just it doesn't live up to what their legacy is and it's like well okay first of all of course not because clearly it's the beatles as we have gone through the history of their music like you can't legacy is massive what they've already done yeah so you just can take what you can get right like exactly but it's i think it's an entertaining movie and i would actually be down to see more movies like that done with Mm -hmm. other bands music yeah um there is that queen biopic coming out and like so excited for that i Mm. like i am super excited for that and i'm all for seeing like rami malik as freddie mercury um, yeah, super, kind of an unlikely cast, but it works. It so works well. so well. I'm super excited for that. But also, I would really like to see an across the universe version of Queen's music. Cool. I don't know what the story yeah. would be. I mean, clearly, it would take place in like the 70s and 80s rather than the 60s yeah. and 70s. But I like. I really wish that this were a thing. You know, yeah, I, would... I want this to be a movie genre. 
Yeah, it would be interesting to see because the, the reason I liked Across the Universe so much is because the songs almost kind of seamlessly incorporated with the story that was going on, you know, and so it seemed like really, I mean, if you had no idea what or who the Beatles were, you could assume that maybe the music was like written for the movie, you know, and I know that they did that on purpose. It's just, yeah. it's so immersive. And instead of, instead of it just being like, this is how the band wrote the music. It's like, this is kind of how people were experiencing their lives when the music came out. And this is why the songs were important to them because they were also, you know, living at the same time. They were also falling in love with their friends and taking drugs and stuff. And it, it was so cool to watch that like just kind of seamless overlapping of the songs to the the culture of that time you know yes. yeah and just kind of to tack on to that thought i think because of the like way that culture was and because of the way that the beatles wrote the music that's why they actually and I mean, we've never talked about this before, and I know I'm not the only person that's noticed this, but I do want to point it out and say it out loud. That's why all of the songs that are sung in the movie are also, like, it's done chronologically. Mm-hmm. They yeah. don't mix up any, like, they don't sing any of the later Beatles songs yeah. earlier on in the movie. It's an evolution of the band itself. Yeah. yeah. Which is so cool that they could make that into such a cohesive storyline and use right. it. It, like, blew me away when Audrey taught me that it was in chronological order. I was like, oh, I missed you're like, that. You're movie. right. It was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, that's right. So, yeah. Pretty impressive. So, um, the Beatles, obviously, are, you know, made huge impacts on the world. Between 1963 and 1970, all of that amazing stuff happened. Afterwards, we just know they are infamous forever. I mean, forever. They'll just be the Beatles forever. And there's lots of reasons about it. I mean, reasons for it. So, like, I think we've talked about a lot of it. Um, but part of it is, you know, the, the evolution of their music, the style, how they grew and changed. Their, their music did throughout the albums. If you were to listen to it in chronological order, you would feel that, definitely. Um, the way that the band members worked together and wrote together. And then when they started to break apart, how they separated and had they, their own styles and such. Um I did want to mention this, uh, George Martin, he was tagged or, you know, nicknamed the fifth Beatle and he was obviously always behind the scenes. He was their producer, but he did so much for the band musically, especially musically, but also just like a father figure to them. And he was like a musical genius himself. So he wasn't just a producer. He'd play instruments. He would orchestrate songs. He'd do all these amazing things. And so I think that's kind of cool to pay tribute to the, the fifth Beatle who a lot of people don't even know about. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so the Beatles have been compared to Picasso as artists because they broke through the constraints, their time period, created something unique and original. I 100% agree with that. What do you think, Audrey? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I mean, music has a, a slightly more different history than like visual art does. And so it's kind of, um, an abstract thing to compare I think because um I mean okay I could go on like a 15 minute lesson about the history of visual art compared to the history of musical art and so I'm not gonna do that but I think that making that comparison is I mean it's it's a good one because Picasso had to adapt to um basically photography photography came out and it changed the way that art worked and 
the Beatles, uh, they didn't really have to adapt to anything um, until they had to beat themselves at their own game. Yeah, that's a good way to say that. <laughs> I never thought of it like that. That's really cool. I love it. So, obviously, we also talked about all the covers of Beatles songs, so they've inspired so many other artists. I'm sure even a lot of modern-day on the radio popular artists will say that the Beatles inspired them, you know, just amazing the impact they made in music history. And also just in the culture, you know, they, they came across as these uh, mop top boys, you know, and they weigh in that seven years, 1963 to 1970 and their physical appearances as well. I, I find that interesting, you know, like how they changed with the times as they evolved as people and how they, the culture came along with that and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so, so sociocultural movement, definitely like how they made that big impact. Um, they're the best selling band in history and the Rolling Stone ranked the Beatles as the best artists of all time in 2014. So, I mean, even now, just a, you know, four years from four years ago, they're still the best artists of all time. Like they still are always just going to be that the Beatles. They've made such an impact. And I just wanted to close with a little, like, why it's important to me. At the beginning, Audrey asked me about, you know, why I first loved the Beatles. It had to do with, brought me back to my childhood. You know, like, my first memories, being three years old and listening to the Beatles at home with my dad. And then, you know, a few years later, when my parents divorced and him being a single dad, going on road trips and just amidst the turmoil of our family and stuff, to just have that, like, happy, fun road trip to California. Just good memories. But... As they've grown and learned and learned so much about this band and this music, it's just inspired me. Like, I'm a, an aspiring musician myself, and I'm never going to be a rock and roll star, and that's okay. <laughs> but just in general, like, just the power of music and how, for me, it really is art. You know, like, Audrey is this amazing artist in the sense of art, you know. But for me, that's more my art, and um, and music speaks to me. I love what Audrey said earlier about, like, the music versus the lyrics and I do love lyrics I do love even just writing poetry but the music is what it is about for me at, at the core of it it's you know it's what makes you feel good inside you know and then the lyrics that cherry on top if you will this is going to sound silly but have you guys ever seen the movie music and lyrics yes yeah <laughs> okay, I have like it's like a guilty pleasure I love it, except for it's, it's not guilty one. right I just love it it's a it's cute a movie one. and there's the part when Drew Barrymore and Hugh Grant are trying to write music and he says I can't write without my old bandmate you know I, it's never worked I'm I, I need a lyricist and she's talking with him and trying to give him this pep talk and and he says you know the Beatles and Smokey Robinson and he lists all these people and how they were these amazing artists and and that's how he wants to be you know and I feel like that's it like the, it's it doesn't need to be this, like, huge, amazing thing, but, you know, I want to hold your hand. Like, I listen to that song, and I'm just like, yeah, and I clap along with it, mm -hmm. and it just makes you happy. And then you go to the end of their career, and there's just amazing orchestrations, and this just, like, makes you feel so good and and sad and all these emotions, and that's art. You know, that's how I feel about it, and I love it. It's just, it makes me happy. I have that special connection with my dad, and and I just, yeah, it just makes me happy. So I love the Beatles. Hooray. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lexi, and, and talking about the Beatles with us. I learned so much about the yeah, Beatles today. <laughs> like awesome. an insane amount. Um, and it's kind of one of those weird things where, for whatever reason, I've known more about their solo careers than about their career together. <laughs> 
That's interesting. Now you can teach me now because I know more about their crew together so we can do another episode. Oh, oh, fun stuff. Yeah, let's just do that right now, shall we? <laughs> no, because I need a nap after learning about all of the things that they did just, you know, from 1962 to 63. I cannot do more recording. So we are going to wrap this up so I can go take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so thank you for joining us listeners on this journey through the history of one of the most important bands of all times. Uh, you know, your opinion on how good they are may vary. Mileage may vary, but definitely most important. Hmm. And I think we'll post some things on social media uh, that are Beatles related. I can think of a couple right off the bat that I want to post. Yeah. And uh, on those social media platforms, you can find mm-hmm. us at Twitter, at Kittens and Kanye. And on Instagram, at Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. And if you like what you listen to, it would be really super great of you to go onto iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. Yes, and please. if you do that, we will thank you on a future episode. Um, also, just a heads up, we have a couple more episodes to go before we do another potpourri episode. So mm-hmm. if you have anything that you want to send in for us to talk about or mention, you can email us at kittenwhiskersandkanye at gmail.com. Yes. Uh, anything else? I don't think so. I think we've covered it. Yes. Nailed yeah. it. Oof. We didn't nail it. It took a couple of takes. We're fine. But we're, we're going to say we nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, I'm Audrey Stratton. I'm Carmen Thorley. And I'm Lexi Ramirez. And this has been Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go eat some crumbled chocolate chip cookies. Oh.